Hello, and welcome to Easy, Easy Big, Big Takes, the podcast, where we read you the one-star reviews of your favorite movies and more. My name's Kat. And I'm Riley. And this week, I forgot our theme. Summer movies. Yes. And this was one for us when we were growing up. It's called Kings of Summer. Came out in 2013. It's rated R for some reason. It probably won too many bitches thrown around, you know? I guess. It does not deserve an R rating. No. Do they even say the F word ever? Why am I saying the F word? Do they say fuck? <laughs> we can say it. I, if they do, it's, it's maybe a handful of times. This movie doesn't have extreme foul language at all. Or themes. It should have been PG-13. Anyway, we'll get into yep. that later. Yeah. It's an hour and 35 minutes. I'll go ahead and read the plot. Joe Toy, on the verge of being a young man, finds himself increasingly frustrated by the attempts of his single father, Frank, to manage his life. After a family game night that ends with Joe calling the cops on Frank for false reasons, he declares freedom once and for all. He escapes to a clearing he found in the woods, along with his best friend Patrick, also sick of his life at home with his annoying parents, and a strange boy named Biagio, who just happened to tag along. Joe announces that they are going to build a house in the clearing, free from responsibility and parents. Once their makeshift home is finished, Joe declares himself and Biagio to be the hunters, while Patrick gathers fruit. Several weeks pass and Patrick and Joe are reported missing and appear on multiple news channels. Frank finds a Monopoly piece from the game night in Joe's book bag that was left on the bus and believes that Joe is taunting him. Conflict arises between Patrick and Joe when Joe invites his crush Kelly to come see the house they built. After a while, she takes a liking to Patrick and they begin a relationship. Joe passively confronts Patrick in a Monopoly game by teaming up with Biagio and the two get into a scuffle. Joe calls Kelly a cancer and a bitch who ruined the peace and harmony the three of them had as she walks out of the house in despair. Joe, realizing that Patrick feels bad for Kelly, taunts him to go after her and stomps on his previously broken foot. Patrick leaves to find Kelly and comforts her with a kiss. Biagio, who has become good friends with Joe, is told to leave as well, leaving Joe to live alone. About a month later, Joe is still living alone in the woods. Biagio asks his father, who is shaving, if you go to hell for leaving your friend, to which his father replies, of course. Kelly goes to a concerned Frank and offers to take him to Joe. Short of money, Joe sets out to hunt his own food, eventually leading him to kill and eat a rabbit. A snake is attracted to the house after he does not dispose of the body properly. When Kelly and Frank arrive, they find him cornered by the venomous snake. Yasho comes barging into the makeshift house and attempts to kill the snake with his machete, but is bitten on the ankle instead and collapses, becoming violently ill. Frank, Kelly, and a mildly feral Joe rush Biagio to the hospital. Joe and Frank reconcile. Biagio survives and tells Joe that he saw heaven and if he had to do it all over again, he would. But then he changes his mind. <laughs> Joe and Patrick's parents each drive them home. As they view each other from their respective cars, they flip each other off jokingly and part ways. The film ends on shots of the house Joe, Patrick, and Biagio built. After the credits, Biagio is seen once again residing in the house in the woods. Oh, when I was <laughs> 17, my mother <laughs> said to me, don't stop, stop imagining <laughs> The way that you live is the way that you die. (laughs) Can't butcher that. (laughs) So it's hard with the timing on the Zoom. Yeah. I love I love the whole time that Joe and Patrick's parents, like, they got the cops involved, they're searching for them. Biagio's parents, nothing. Didn't report him missing. Nope. Probably didn't know he was gone. (laughs) Yeah. So we have the director, Jordan Vogue Roberts, who directed Kong Skull Island, which is a... The Jack Black King Kong? No, that's uh, Peter Jackson. Kong Skull Island, it's one of the more recent ones. It's actually very good. Very good comedy. Looks really good. We should actually do that movie at some point because it's not bad at all. I'll take your word for it. We'll do it in the future. Yeah. 
It, it is really good. We should do monster movies. Yeah. No, yeah, no kidding. Or we could do, you could do the Peter Jackson one and I could do this one. I don't want to do a King Kong movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fair. Also, the Peter Jackson one's sad. Yeah. This one's less sad. This was Jordan, Jordan Voight Roberts. This was his debut film. It feels like a debut film. Yeah. And it was also writer Chris Galletta. It was his first written movie. Mm cast we have nick robinson who plays joe gabriel basso who plays patrick moises Arias who plays viaggio we have nick offerman who plays frank aaron morari who plays kelly <sighs> allison brie who plays heather mangamoli who plays miss keenan uh, we have some honorable cameos we have tony hale who's from arrested development he plays the bus pa- the weird bus passenger we have a- hannibal burris who plays the bus driver and we have Camille Nanjani, who plays the delivery guy. Not a lot of trivia, so I'm just going to go through it real quick. If you didn't know, Nick Offerman and Mangum Maloli are real-life husband and wife. If one of them's in something, the other one's going to pop up. 99% of the time. She wasn't in The Last of Us. Oh, just wait and see. <laughs> she, might, she might pop up some some point. Maybe. Director John Voigt Roberts brought in cast members and improviser Craig Kakowski. What is it? Kakowski? Your guess is as good as mine. Okay. He was also in the movie, but I don't remember what character he played. Improviser Greg Kakowski prior to shooting in order to teach the young cast basic improv techniques. Wade Roberts wanted the actors living in the skin of the characters between takes. The director would then secretly film the actors between takes in order to capture a more natural, authentic camaraderie. He had a code word for his crew to secretly start rolling. According to actor Mark Evan Jackson, much of this verite footage made the final cut. Half this movie is B-roll, so that makes sense. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to do. I'm assuming it's mostly whenever they were outside run around the woods yeah just like let those teenage boys be teenage boys outside for a second because i feel like any group of boys will do something we'll end up start doing that shit yeah it makes sense for this movie and you can definitely tell they did it because half this movie's b-roll yeah i was watching it going like (laughs) i thought they talked more (laughs) i did i thought they did but it's half this literally is b-roll anyway Chris Galletta's script was featured on The Blacklist, which is an annual comprehensive list of Hollywood's best unproduced scripts in 2009. Other notable scripts featured on the list that year included The Social Network, Cedar Rapids, and The Take This Waltz. I don't know the other two, but I know The Social Network, of course. Yeah, I've never heard of those other two. They sound a little too serious for 11, 12-year-old us to have watched. Yeah. At one point, Biagio says he thinks he's gay because his lungs fill up every time the seasons change, after which Joe says says that's not being gay pretty sure that's just cystic fibrosis in five feet apart which was made in 2019 arias plays poe a gay character who has cystic fibrosis awful movie five feet apart i've never i don't know what that is it literally it's like a bunch of teenagers who have cystic fibrosis and they have to go to a hospital and they all have to stay like five feet apart from each other from like everybody it's like that movie it's kind of a funny story it's just like oh, yeah just not a good movie i wrote that book the movie fucking sucked i feel like that movie would not hold up not at all this one the timing on that one was funny though because it was like right before the pandemic <laughs> that, oh that's right yeah mm-hmm. dang okay that is funny so that was it that was all the trivia yeah this movie was very popular for an indie movie but it never was like critically acclaimed like everybody was talking about it mm-hmm. most people i bring it up to now have no idea what i'm talking about it's one of those so i'm not surprised there's not a lot of trivia just one of those indie movies yeah so tell me about your opinions about this movie okay so i watched for the first time i think it came out in the summertime in 2013 when i was when we were in eighth grade 
Yeah. Like right after eighth grade. And I remember like a friend group that I only had for like the end of eighth grade and through the summer. And by the time I got to high school, I found you. So <laughs> <laughs> just left that friend group entirely. Uh, <laughs> chips. Peace out, bitches. Uh, but we watched this movie together because one of the girls was obsessed with MGMT. And so we were like having a sleepover or something. And I was like, oh. I like this. This this is fun. This is a fun movie. When I was 13, it, it was funny. Yeah, in 2013, when yeah. we were all 13, 14 years old. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of like around the time of like Perks Being a Wallflower because that came out like a year prior. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those movies, like we said with Perks Being a Wallflower, that like kind of gave us some bad personality traits. <laughs> Yeah. Not bad, just annoying. Just kind of like, I hope you grow out of that when you see like a, a preteen do that. You're like, I hope that stops someday for you. <laughs> this movie made me annoying in a different way than Perks Being Wallflower. It was more like, I don't know, it made me like pretentious in a similar way. I don't know what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. but like, I feel like it was the music taste that had more of an effect on me than than the, the 80s-ness of Perks Being Wallflower. <laughs> Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I don't mind the soundtrack to this movie. I love the sound. Like, I still listen to everything from it, but it gave me a hipster mindset that I just kind of wish I didn't, didn't have. Still uh, suffering from the side effects to this day. <laughs> you are. You are. And sometimes I see that I'm like, come on, we're better than this. Come on. Come on. Like last week, when I said I'd be buried with the vinyl. I, I had a flashback like hours later and I was like, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I literally, I was You're lucky like, I'm here to humble you. Holy shit. I'm so glad you caught that and said it out loud. Like, no. <laughs> that, you may feel that, but don't say that it to anybody. That slipped out of my mouth. I did not. I couldn't believe I said that. Like, Avant, really? I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the most 14 year old thing i've said in a long time it's okay she lives in you she okay. lives in me if you want to get buried with them that's fine just don't tell anybody i'm not gonna tell anyone they have to i'm not gonna in. judge you but everybody else is <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Yeah, like this, I'm grateful for the soundtrack of this movie because yes. I found some of like my favorite music starting here and expanding outwards from it. So that's, I'm thankful for that. I yeah. love music. So if it's, it's a good soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Noah, Noah came in earlier and he was like, what are you, what are you guys going to talk about? I was like, Kings of Summer. It was like, it's like a coming of age indie movie. And he was like, oh, I was like, we just like it for the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, Hassan had the same reaction. He was like, that movie sucks. Except for Biagio. <laughs> He is the best character. He, he is, is the best, best character. character. I get it. Yeah. Watching it from an adult lens, yeah. Like, I still had a little bit of the nostalgia where I was like, this movie feels like going over to your uh, family's apartment and, like, hanging out all day, just doing nothing during the summertime. Yeah. That's what this movie feels like. It's the, the teenager version of the feeling Aquamarine gave me, if that makes sense. Yes. Very nostalgia for that um, time period. For the 2010s. Yeah. There were so many things. We were talking about this before we started. There were so many things that didn't even phase me a little bit as a 13-year-old yeah. that this time I was like, there's no, I was like, there's no way that was it. That was in, that, that was in there before. There were a lot of, a lot of jokes that I'm just like. A lot of out-of-pocket jokes were like 
where did that yeah. come from? Yeah. When they were coming from the dad and the parents, I'm like, okay, that's the suburbs. White parents <laughs> say out-of-pocket shit all the time. <laughs> racist out-of-pocket shit all the time. Very racist. Not to say that it's any better that it was put in there kind of jokes, too. Oh, no. But it's not out outlandish for somebody, <laughs> somebody's parents to say that in the fucking suburbs. Right. But, like, there were some things that Joe, mainly, mm-hmm. would say, and I'm like, oh, you would have a podcast. You would have a podcast, Joe. You would 100% of a podcast he, he would he listens to mr beast he goes to hustlers university run by andrew tate mm-hmm. subscribes to only fans while calling girls who do only fans horrors at the same time type of guy females <laughs> yeah females that's that's where he's at right now he has like he comes back at the end of the movie and like he has a little bit of redemption a little with that just to one girl though <laughs> i feel bad for her she had to be the one to be like no it's okay that you called me a cancer and you called me a bitch we were just making sure you were okay and he should have gotten bitten by the damn snake you should have it wasn't so bad that it was like unwatchable it was just surprising how many times it happened and i also don't have much sympathy for the <laughs> for joe anymore it, it just was a lot of like what the fuck yeah it's a pretty movie I'll say that. It is a pretty movie. It's well shot. Yeah. Like whenever Alison Brie's character, her boyfriend, is like singing and mm-hmm. they do the shots of walking through the field, that's beautiful. It is. Like all the B-roll in this movie, like you were saying, there's a lot of it, but like <laughs> it's gorgeous. Like it, it looks great. Maybe that's why I don't remember so much of like the out-of-pocket things is because all I remember is like the B-roll type shots where there's no dialogue mm-hmm. and the parts where they're like drumming on that pipe yeah. thing. Like it had a lot of aesthetic niceness to it, mm-hmm. which we've learned in the past has distracted us heavily from us. other it's things. It's gotten us before. <laughs> yeah. I don't have like a whole lot of specific things to say about it. I know you had a bit. We can move on to yours if you'd like. Yes. We watched this a ton when we were 13, 14 years old. And, and I hadn't seen that movie probably since that time period. We watched it a bunch. M- mostly freshman, sophomore year, we watched it a lot. Yeah. We watched it during that time period. And then after that, I did not watch it up until a few days ago. We were too busy watching depressing ass shit instead. Yeah. I was on YouTube searching for the, the most indie of indie movies. Yes. It's too busy crying to the Florida Project, you know? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's different than when I remember. I will say the pacing for me is not great. Yeah, it has a weird pacing. I think everything's a little surface level in this movie too. Yeah, for sure. The dialogue and, you know, like it's it's all very surface level it doesn't really get that deep yeah not in the not in the same way that like i feel like movies that focus on like a a young girl coming of age Mm -hmm. like there's a lot more depth that like you get shown with that teen boys deserve that much depth this movie could have had like a lot more than we were given if that makes sense definitely especially when you have a movie where it's about especially the main character having all these emotions mm-hmm. you know grieving his mother having a bad relationship with his father you have all yeah. these buried emotions of grief anger taking it out on his friends mm-hmm. but it's never released in a healthy way yeah there's no good conclusion no and also i wouldn't say he got redemption very well no he just was civil at the end 
rudely <laughs> like just in the way of like just like he's fucking smug someone described this whole movie as smug and i'll get into that to later but i kind of get that it leans on like his perspective a lot and i feel like that like sure if like there was a teenage boy that had similar things going on it would take a little longer for him to like redeem that quality sure that's realistic but like as an audience member it's not satisfying to get to the end of this movie and he's just like taking he just now is taking his first step into being like better yeah kind of like we're not even seeing real progress with that though i mean him and his father are reconciling but like there was no work with that he just kind of showed back up. I guess the work was him being alone out there and realizing what it's like whenever you've pushed everybody away Mm -hmm. and now you have to reckon with what it's like to be on your own. You might have some success and then you'll hit a point where you need other people. Mm -hmm. That was the pseudo work that was done, but this movie could have been like 15 minutes longer and I think they could have achieved a little more of a satisfying redemption for him. Yeah, I just, yeah. Not not enough death for me. I fully see that. I see that. Mm-hmm. It's too lighthearted for how many problems they put in our face about Joe. It's almost like the movie doesn't see all of them as that big of a deal. Yeah. They kind of touch on them and then never address it. Yeah. I also think this movie was written in the same way, like, they wanted it to be another Juno, but unfortunately this was not written by Diablo Cody. Yeah. It tried to be that quirky, funny, oddball humor, and it just came off as weird, but, like, not in a good way. Like, you know how, like, uh, Nickelodeon, the most random thing you can think of these characters doing? Buttersock. Buttersock. Random shit like that. Biagio is a perfect example of that. But there's sometimes in this movie where Biagio says something so far left field, it is ironically funny because it's just the most random thing you've ever heard. Yeah. So like the gay, cyst- what is it called? Cystic fibrosis thing. Like, yeah, it's not funny, but it's so random. It's funny. Yeah. And I think like out of the three main boys, like that's what makes him the most entertaining out of the mm-hmm. movie because you want to know what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. You're drawn to him the most, which I don't think was the intention at all. It's a little distracting, but like he yeah. makes up for a lot of the fault of the movie. Honestly, yeah. Just because of how weird he is. But to add to like the weird Juno-y air parts of it, whenever Kelly tells him that her and her boyfriend broke up, he's like imagining in his head that like his car blows up. Oh, yeah. There should have been more little like cutaways like that in the movie. I feel like that would have made it more entertaining Mm -hmm. to like have little daydreamy moments. Like he has them. Like there's two and they're both about Kelly. They're very dream-like sequences, silent. Yeah. Well, the the car explodes one has dialogue yeah but there's just that one the other two are silent they're just her in a field or something and it's just like it doesn't flow no it's very random yeah and i think it could have used more of that humor from those like little cutaway like the car exploding thing and i feel like it would have made the tone of this movie make a lot more sense Mm -hmm. if he's this angry kid you could add more of his little daydreams about the people around him exactly but what else did you think about it i always believe this with anything nick offerman's in he is a Billy Burke of whatever he's in. Yes. He's going to be one of the best in the film or TV show or whatever. And you're going to remember his parts. You could hate whatever he's in, but you're going to go back and go, but Nick Offerman was good. No no notes, no notes. No notes. There's always a Billy Burke in something that we always do that critics will always point out and go, but this person was really good. Like in Aquamarine, the girl who played the bully. They loved her. There's always a Billy Burke and Nick Offerman is a Billy Burke in the movie. Yeah. It was originally called uh, something weird. A toy house or something. Yeah, when it was at Sundance. That's a dumb name. Yeah. It's such a good title of this movie, though. Like, this that's a good title. 
like kings of summer like that's a great yeah it's intriguing like you're like oh what's that the trailers for this movie i remember more than the fucking movie because they used that drum thing yep as like the trailers for it hyped it up yep but i agree like nick offerman steals the show and everything like he was in one episode of the last of us and, and it is still the most talked about episode yeah oh this movie's rated r I'm just going to say it. It's for no reason. <laughs> it's for no reason. If there's ever a PG-13 movie, it should have been this. And this is a light PG-13 movie. I'm trying to see why they fuck it was rated r i think i think it's they show them drinking that's probably all it is probably what it is some uh, i have a critic that you'll recognize who talks about it a little bit oh yeah they, they smoke cigars and there's drinking and there's sexual references so it just barely made it over to r it's dumb I, it sh it's not an r-rated movie that's all i can think about at the moment do you have anything to add now that we were talking about it more i feel like it had way more potential to be a more impactful coming-of-age movie for teen boys it definitely did and it, it has a great concept and i feel like it could have it ha could have had so much commentary on like anger that boys feel toxic and like how to deal with it better mm -hmm. yeah toxic masculinity i know not every movie has to make like a statement but this movie presented so many of those moments that it was like you could have had a little more of like a solution for these boys to walk away with mm -hmm. definitely so you ready for the critic reviews mm -hmm. so i did want to pull this up it has like a solid rating on rotten tomatoes 76 from critics 77 from audience which I was surprised by. I thought it was going to be lower, but that's pretty good. It seems like one of those that begs the argument of like, oh, just because it went to Sundance and it's an indie movie that it automatically is good. I had the theory that we all we all saw this in 2013. We're like, yeah, this is good. And none of us has watched this since. So therefore the ratings never went down. I think that's accurate. I think if we re all revisited it at the same time, it might change. But that's just me. Yeah. I recommend everybody go rewatch this movie if you think of it positively still yeah so i'm gonna start off with a positive review from the independent critic richard probes gave it a 3.5 out of 5 stars so it says sometimes you just can't help but surrender to a film the kings of summer is such a film while the film most easily fits into the label of coming of age films it's also a film that easily defies such a label or for the matter any specific label the Kings of Summer, while not a flawless film, is a little bit of a wonder. It's the kind of film that makes you feel better after watching it than you did before. The film is frequently laugh-out-loud funny while also being quite substantial and meaningful. It's the kind of film, I guess, that Rod Reiner was trying to make when he was trying to make Flipped a few years back, but it's kind of the film he did make when he made Stand By Me early in his directorial career. I have heard some folks call The Kings of Summer one of the best coming-of-age films in years. While I'm not quite ready to make such a lofty claim, the Kings of Summer is certainly one of the summer's most pleasant surprises and a film that deserves to transcend its indie art house roots to find a wider audience. I feel like it only transcends those roots because it's mainstream enough for like everyone to understand what it's trying to do in kind of movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Indianapolis moviegoers will also want to take note that The Kings of Summer is a recipient of the Heartland Truly Moving Picture Award, a recognition of its positive and inspiring values and messages. I say it nearly every single time that Heartland gives the Truly Moving Picture Award. We always say that we want these types of films in movie theaters, but when it comes time to actually attend the films, we always get distracted by the mega budget films. While it's wonderful to say, I'll see it on DVD, the simple truth is that studios listen to the almighty dollar and box office receipts do matter. Do you want positive and life-affirming films, then you need to support films like The Kings of Summer while they are in theaters and a lecture. So he had, he had a little bit right there. I did only see this movie on DVD. I don't think I knew it was out in theaters. 
It probably had a limited release. And we probably didn't have access to that. I couldn't drive, so I don't think anyone was taking me to see it. I wasn't scrolling the internet, you know, looking at movie time, so. Yeah. It wasn't on our radar. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The film premiered to wide acclaim at the Sundance Film Festival under the name Toys House. Whatever the name, rest assured that this is a film almost sure to please. That said, the film actually doesn't necessarily pull tremendously on the heartstrings. First-time writer Chris Galata and first-time director Jordan Voigt Roberts have infused the film with a sense of authentic- authenticity that avoids over-hysteronics or excessive displays of emotions. While this slightly lessens our, our emotional attachment to the boys, it feels truer to the way that teenagers relate to one another with lots of wit, sarcasm, displays of brawn, and occasional power struggles that are more accurate reflectors of male friendships in the adolescent years. While young Nick Robinson is already a popular actor on television, his performance here may very well be his bridge into film work. Robinson makes Joe edgy without ever actually going over the edge. His conflicts with his father feel incredibly genuine, though this also has as much to do with Nick Offerman's uncomfortability, good performance as Joe's bereaved father. While Gabriel Basso has less in the way of emotional range to work with, he turns Patrick into what amounts to a young man-child, a bit of stoic with a core center as gooey as they come. Mosius Arias serves quite successfully as the film's comic relief, yet amidst all the comedy, you leave the theater realizing that you've truly grown to care about and enjoy this quirky yet admirable young man who probably would fit nicely into the Napoleon Dynamite world. Meg Mullally and Mark Evan Jackson avoid caricature despite the almost characterish qualities of their characters. A mother and father who can't seem to realize that their little boy is nearing his mid-teens. As Joel's older sister, Alison Brie takes a fairly one-note role and fleshes it out quite nicely. Among the key players, only Aaron Morarty feels a little flat as Kelly. As may very well be because the entire storyline involving Joe's crush on her feels just a tad extraneous given all the other dynamics in the film, and despite the fact that the relationship plays a key factor in the film's less satisfying final half hour. Just as the relationship between Joe and Patrick isn't all warm and fuzzy, the crush that Joe has on Kelly feels manufactured to the point that a storyline that goes in unexpected directions actually is far more satisfying. Ross Reed's lensing is stellar throughout the film, capturing the idyllic place in which the boys choose to locate their home as an almost magical land despite the fact that it's obviously rather close to their actual homes. If I have a slight beef with the photography, it would be with that what feels like an occasional sense of poetic license that may be beautiful to look at, but which distracts from that story at hand. There's also an over-reliance on visual cues that are a bit too dominating in their presence. Ryan Miller's original music is simply exceptional in capturing both of the coming-of-age aspects of the story along with the innocence, wonder, and vulnerabilities of all involved. Tyler B. Robinson's production design is top-notch, as most of the other tech on the film that was shot in Ohio. Kings of Summer is not without its flaws, but the flaws are easy to forgive because newcomer Jordan Voight Roberts directs like a veteran and manages to infuse the film with so much visual wonder and authentic harmony. The Kings of Summer may not be the showiest film you could see this weekend, but surely one of the most satisfying. As a side note, the MPAA has ridiculously slapped the film with an R rating due to a couple of obscenities and some teen drinking. The R rating is ludicrous and yet another example of the MPAA's irrelevance. While the film isn't likely for small children, any youth capable of seeing PG-13 film is fully capable of appreciating this film. Quite honestly, really should see this film. This is like one of the few times where I'm like, I understand the rule because like 
it's not exactly responsible to target a movie at children that shows children drinking, you know? So I get it there. Mm -hmm. I still saw it as a 13-year-old, so it's like, whatever. It's just it's just really harsh, because you would think with the R rating, you're like, oh, I'm going to see some crazy stuff. It seems like enough people have spoken out and said, like, hey, it's, it's only rated R because of this one thing. So, like, if you're cool with your kids seeing that, like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. My thing with this movie is, like, none of my issues were really ever with any of the actors. It all always comes back to the um, writer or the director. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of it's in the writing of it. Um, I think the directing is fine. It's just the choices that were made. He even acknowledges it's distracting to have so many B-roll type shots. Like I was saying, I feel like if that was ingrained into it, like this is a way of conveying the emotional level of the characters, but it is so random in its timing that it has like the opposite effect where... I don't really feel like I'm getting in the character's head as much because it's like, oh, it only happens when these two things happen. Therefore, it's, I don't understand him. So he can't be redeemed. It's all show. It's literally like a newsreel, like when they're talking about a park that's being built and they show B-roll of a park, surface level information. It's okay to an extent, but it's so much in this movie. Yeah, I agree with that. I just mean like emotional scenes where it's just like, it looks like they just click something out of a music video yes and like just mm -hmm. put it in there it's like if that was ingrained into it more and if there was more emphasis on like daydreaming as a thing that like is tied to joe's character it would have been easier to get on board with yeah all the actors did fine though like i don't think anything has to do with their performances oh no i think all the actors are fine i think it does come down to dialogue mm -hmm. and i do disagree i don't think the character of joe again not because of the actor it's how he's written it's just how he's written i don't like the character of joe i think he does go over the edge i do like... think he goes over the edge i think he goes over the insult edge <laughs> Yeah, if I had met Joe in high school, I would have fucking hated him. Mm -hmm. It's like, no wonder you're not getting bitches, dude. Yeah, you call them you're bitches the and cancer. <laughs> you're scaring you're the hoes. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> no, yeah, I would like argue with him in like history class or something, you know? Yeah, he he's playing devil's advocate for something that you yeah. should never play devil's, devil's advocate yeah. for. Especially as a little white teen boy. Mm -hmm. To an extent. Yes. Is his character accurate? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Don't make him the fucking main character. <laughs> yeah. And just because the character is accurate doesn't mean that's a good thing. Yeah. And the way that his character gets like reprimanded for his actions doesn't feel like satisfying. No. He never gets Punched. punishment equal. <laughs> yeah. He gets everything back in the end. Mm -hmm. His life just goes back to normal at the end. If not better. If Yeah. If not better. The way that Joe is written and the way that the characters are written, it makes me question like, who is this right? How was he in high school? Was he like Joe? Is this like a, you know, does he think that Joe is justified just because he had a tragedy happen to him? Or like, this is how teenage boys are at this age, so therefore it's fine. Yeah, I'm not going to give this movie the credit of being like, oh, is this a larger commentary on other things? Because I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. But I think it inadvertently, you look at it and you go, okay, yeah, a teenage, a white teenage boy in the suburbs would get away with acting like this. Yeah, he would. Mm -hmm. So it's accurate. Sure. But do I hate it a little? Yeah. Doesn't mean it's doesn't mean it's good, you know, yeah. just because it's accurate. <laughs> I'm not trying to fully shit on this movie and say it's like the worst thing I've ever seen or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just the praise was a lot higher than it deserved. We did Jennifer's Body not too long ago. It had a 35%. This movie has a 77 for being like barely a movie. Barely, barely a movie. 
it, so this movie, 76% across the board, boys being mm-hmm. boys, Jennifer's body, girls being girls, it's hated on. This is so easy. Aquamarine. Aquamarine. Let me move on. Unless you want to add anything else? No. I understand what he's saying. Yeah. Like, I understand what's good about it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that he sees some of the similar things wrong with it that we do. Right. Same. This next one is a negative one by David Harris. This is written back in 2013. Against the Summer misses on all counts, from its uneasy mixture of comedy and drama to its clutch of unlikable losers who make the film's short running time seem exorably longer. We immediately meet Frank Toy and his teenage son Joe, who are coping with the death in the family by treating one another like shit. Frank makes masturbation and other distressing jokes at his son's expense. Joe calls the cops when Frank wins at Monopoly, claiming at robbery is in progress. It's not a relationship full of love or respect. Of course, this connection, like all the others in the film, really goes nowhere when director Jordan Voigt Roberts pushes forward with Chris Galata's inane and extremely disagreeable script. Tired of his existence, Joe recruits the service of two peers, his friend Patrick, and the genuinely bizarre for no reason but to be bizarre, Biagio. Their goal is to build a house in the woods, one where no adults will ever bother them again. It's a whimsical notion out of a J.M. Bari, a fantasy cooked up by Joe to replace any true coping with his mother's death. Unfortunately, the material is handled in the most unintelligent manner possible. Rather than dig into the drama and conflict that comes with building the house, the three boys erect the structure out of stolen parts and half cocked blueprints in a matter of five filmic minutes. Now that the boys have built their own Moonrise Kingdom, we soon learn what an asshole Joe can be, and Galata pushes this conclusion upon us by injecting a love interest into the mix. Yes, the girl Joe has been pining after is invited into the fold, but when she falls for Patrick instead, Joe acts out with vengeful wrath. It doesn't take a genius to realize that Joe is just a conduit for his father's own pent-up distress. We see this expressed in numerous situations where Frank gets to dress down everyone from a delivery man to his daughter's idiotic but kind boyfriend with wicked abandon. Worst of all, Joe's growth as a character finally arrives in an implausible finale that was telegraphed in from the start of the film. Don't forget about Chekhov's gun, people. Same thing can be said about Snakeskin. Boy Roberts cannot juggle the comedy and drama here, making the Kings of Summer a confusing experience. The audience at my screening laughed at a tragic scene near the end that was clearly not meant to be funny. <laughs> with the awkward direction and mixed signals we received up until that point, one cannot blame them. It just feels wrong from the core outwards. With so much advanced buzz, it's impossible to feel beyond let down by the Kings of Summer. It's a dumbed-down version of early David Gordon Green with all the gravitas rubbed away and the slow-motion shots left in. It's a film where every character is more reprehensible than the next. The Kings of Summer is that smarty hipster who you see on the subway, his shitty mustache barely coming in, (laughs) GMT blaring out of his headphones, his ironic headband and t-shirt exuding insincerity. He wanted to get up and shake some sense into him. I just wanted to get up halfway through this film and get the fuck out. I understand. This was a really rough review. Yeah. And there's nothing but points. Nothing but points made. Hey, if you were adult at this time and annoyed by hipsters, Mm -hmm. I understand. I only got, like, the 13-year-old perspective of how much people hated hipsters. Yeah, we were still children when that was a that was a thing. Yeah. I wholeheartedly pushed away anytime somebody called me a hipster. I was like, no, I'm indie. <laughs> I said that in eighth grade. I said those words. I have my middle school yearbook where somebody signed and wrote, like, you're indie in, like, my yearbook. Oh, my God. I was, I didn't know why hipsters sucked, but I was like, I do not want to be called one, no matter how much I'm acting like one. (laughs) That's hilarious. But I get it. Like, especially at that time, seeing this movie and being like, oh, no. (laughs) 
you mentioned Juno. This feels like somebody who watched Juno and then was like, I'm going to make a movie, but like was not equipped enough to make a movie. You are not Diablo Cody. <laughs> you cannot make Juno. I'm sorry. You can't. <laughs> You're not funny enough. <laughs> You're not funny, quirky. To add to the Juno thing, like, you didn't understand why Juno was funny. Mm -hmm. You didn't understand what the quirkiness was. You just thought, okay, it has to be quirky. And you decided what that meant to you. And it was wrong. Yeah. I didn't feel as strongly as this person did about this movie. No. I get all their points. They're not wrong. I don't hate it as much as they do. I mean, probably because they were adult and saw this. I was a child that liked this movie when I first saw this, but they're not wrong. No, no, because we we rewatched it and we went, oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I don't think it's, this just seems like somebody who really, really hated hipsters. Yeah. I would be more mildly annoyed. Mm -hmm. This is definitely a movie for that time. It should only live in 2013. No, it only can live in 2013 because there's no way. It didn't. It didn't make it past 2015 for us as like people who liked the movie. Because at that point we moved on. We were we were like, let's watch horror movies. I was watching Little Birds. I was already on. I was on. We were watching Detachment. We were watching fucking Detachment. Yeah, we were on. We were on the next level shit. It's like, oh, you think you know trauma? <laughs> mm -mm. <laughs> I've seen Detachment. I've seen okay. Detachment. <laughs> I, saw, I made you watch Gardens of the Night. Oh, God. I will never forgive you for that one. I understand. <laughs> Understandable. I'll never forgive myself for clicking play for myself, so. Damn. I forgot about that movie. Wish I did. Wish I didn't remember. It lives with me. It lives with me. I can't forget that movie. Oh. But anyway, let's move on to the trauma I've on. caused you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This next one is another negative one written by Josh Bell in 2013. So breezy that it threatens to blow apart entirely, the coming of age, dramedy, the kings of summer, has some sweet moments but ends up feeling wholly inconsequential. The self-consciously quirky supporting characters take away from the emotional impact of the central story about teenage best friends Joe and Patrick who decide to run away from their overbearing parents and live in the woods outside their small Ohio town. Joe and Patrick's friendship forms the core of the movie. The filmmakers effectively capture the way that the teenagers can goad each other into increasingly drastic actions via dares and bluffs. Although Robinson and Basso have strong chemistry and a handful of affecting moments together, Voight Roberts and Galata focus too much on the wacky comic relief around them, including Biagio, a serious weirdo prone to making nonsensical pronouncements, who never quite comes together either as a fully realized character or as an effective comedic foil. Both Joe's father and Patrick's parents are a little too cartoonish to be convincing as serious sources of angst for their sons. Tony Howell, Hannibal Burris, Craig Kukowski, and Mary Lynn Rashkum all make appearances, adding to the movie's comedy pedigree, but the last are at odds with the attempted elegiac tone in the woodland scenes. Boyd Roberts overdoses on soulful montages in slow motion, and he shoots practically every scene at magic hour, too often substituting stylization for characterization. As Joe and Patrick find themselves at odds over a girl, the movie digresses into fantasy sequences that add little to the narrative. Morality's Kelly never ends up being more than a plot device to bring discord into the central friendship, and her eventual choice between the two boys seems arbitrary. Despite the thematic stumbles, Summer does generate some real laughs, and it taps into a vein of nostalgia that exceeds into its blandness. The feeling of freedom during the teenage summer, the heady rush of a first crush, the rebelling against authority figures, those feelings all come across even if they are more generic than specific. 
the winner of the audience award at this year's Sundance Film Festival. Summer is an easy crowd pleaser, but like Lazy Summer Days, it will be forgotten almost as soon as it's over. Accurate. Accurate. And that's that's what I meant by like, that's the reason that it transcends indie art house is because it's not, there's no depth to it. Nobody's going to raise any eyebrows to what commentary this movie is trying to make because it's avoiding really making any statement at all. Exactly. Unless it's a few years later and then you hear the jokes and you're like, okay. I didn't like that. Well, white people being ironically racist is not funny. It's so. not funny. <laughs> and not humor. <laughs> yeah. It's just saying stuff out loud. And then at the end going, whoa. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> whoa, I'm Irish. <laughs> Oh my god. Honey, I'm Irish. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're making no statements. You're just saying something racist and then having somebody react. Yeah. And that was the bit for the longest time, especially during that time period. The edgy humor era. Yeah. And it's just like, no, you're just saying... You're just saying a racist joke mm -hmm. and then buffering it with, whoa, that was racist. And then that's the bit. But what part of it are we laughing at? Yeah. So those really stuck out to me. It kind of just makes you notice everything else with this movie that's not great yeah definitely but those kind of jokes are lazy and so it kind of adds to how lazy this movie feels yes adds to the lack of depth it's like oh you didn't think very hard about what you wrote no and it's a shocking joke just for the sake of being shocking yeah i don't forget if this if it was this one or the last one is like biagio's character bizarre just for the sake of being bizarre because he's not no one's actually saying good jokes it's just out of pocket racist or just really weird like so randomly weird or like toxically masculine yeah it is lazy it's lazy yeah yeah so uh, we're going to move on to the last positive one. It was written by S Steve Davis back in 2013. Remember back when you were 14 years old? It's the no man's land in life. You're not a kid anymore, but you're hardly an adult either. The tone of the Kings of Summer is unique. Stand by me by way of Napoleon Dynamite. Nails the jumble emotions these boys, not men, not yet, face during their grand experiment, particularly with a female outsider interest picture. As Virginia Woolf observed, growing up means losing certain illusions in order to acquire others. At the same time, non-sequiturs abound in Chris Galata's dialogue, occasionally venturing to the theater of the absurd. A heated exchange between Joe's dad, who in all honesty is a real dick, and the Chinese food delivery man over the size of wontons will have you both laughing and scratching your head. If there's some metaphorical meaning there, it's lost in translation. Likewise, the pint-sized Viaggio is from another planet. Nothing coming out of his mouth makes any sense. This corkscrew humor works both for and against the Kings of Summer. It's beguilingly different and ultimately confuses the film's third act when things unravel and paradise is lost. I feel like that just keeps adding to the like, oh, you saw that Juno was quirky. So like you thought you could achieve that same thing. Yep. Because there is a way to have like the non sequitur type humor where it works, but it has to be supported by other things. Strong writing. <laughs> yeah, strong writing. Exactly. Like you can't just slap a joke in there and just hope people laugh because they're confused. Exactly. Though director Voight Roberts can't master the screenplay's tonal contradictions, he handles his actors well. As Joe's mean-spirited and deeply sad father, Offerman gives a darkly comic performance. It's his gruff, meat-loving character from television's Parks and Recreation with a dollop of paternal menace. 
The goggle-eyed Arius is so far out in left field, he nearly steals the movie, especially with his dance moves, despite his character's odd fit in the narrative. But it's Robinson's tender portrayal of Joe that sticks to your mind. He and Ty Sheridan from Mud are the summer's real finds, young actors with promising futures. When Joe vainly tries to grow a mustache in his quest to become a man, you'll sign the memory of what life felt like at the age of 14. Never has facial hair looked so sweet or so heartbreaking. <laughs> Yeah, that was a positive one, but it does address the same issues we've been talking about. Yeah, I think it comes down to like a willingness to be along the ride for this movie. Which is what Richard said is like, this you had to give in to the movie. Yeah, but I think it was a lot easier to give into it as a 13 year old than it is as an adult. Definitely. But I do agree that it, it feels like Stand By Me mixed with like Napoleon Dynamite. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know if those mixed quite right. Right. Those are two both great movies. And they could mix. And they could if this movie was done right. <laughs> yeah. But here we are. Yeah. Either way, I, I appreciate this review. Yeah, I appreciate it as well. It calls it out for its flaws, but it acknowledges its its pros. Yeah. I'm interested in what the writer of this movie has done after this. Oh, I looked it up. He worked on this other movie a few years ago or a few years after this movie for the sound department and then hasn't written anything since. Yeah, he hasn't written anything since. I think there was a Pikachu movie in there at one point, but not. Oh, you know. Uh, Yeah. And he doesn't even really have a credit for it. Yeah. What has this director done since? Just Kong? I think it's just Kong Skull Island and maybe some smaller stuff. I didn't recognize it. He, he did like a Nick Offerman Netflix thing. That makes sense. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me because this isn't really a good showing of talent. Yeah. Not to be a dick, but like it's not a, a good show of either of their talents. Yeah. Kong Skull Island's good, so I don't know what he did right there, but yeah. That was my last critic review. Do you want to move on to audience reviews? Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10, great cinematic experience from INDB 2016. I have no idea what this movie is. All I know is I enjoyed it. It was pretty refreshing to watch. Normally, I would only give a movie of this caliber a 7 or 8, but once you see the mustache the main character grows, you understand why it's a 10 worthy. The whole time he was in the woods, I was wondering if it was just dirt on his face. That's how good the mustache was. <laughs> I'm jealous my facial hair growth is slightly better than that because I would love to have that petal stash on my face. <laughs> also, Moises area is a gem and a half. 9% of his lines make no sense, but I was digging the humor in it. This will go down as a movie that no one else enjoys. If I meet a girl who likes it, I'll probably marry the girl. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. I can't tell if this was... I think it's sarcasm. <laughs> they n acknowledge it's so bad that they like mm -hmm. it. Or I think that it was just kind of like leaning into the weirdness of it kind of okay. thing because they said they would give it a seven or eight so that okay. means that like they would have enjoyed it at like a mm -hmm. a passable level right but most 14 year old boys have tried to grow a mustache like that and somebody goes do you have something on your you have something on your face? You have makeup on your face. It's such a teen boy mustache if I've ever seen one. So that part is accurate. Sure. I didn't know if they were real in the movie or not. I don't think they are. I, I would hope not. Yeah. They didn't look real. They look like they were painted on. <laughs> <laughs> one star from Letterboxd. Boys, am I right? <laughs> yeah, it's just guys being dudes. That should be the tagline, honestly, for this movie. Boys, am I right? Just a couple of guys being dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that sums up the movie pretty much. Mm -hmm. This is what happens when you put boys alone, to, left to their own devices. Either somebody's dead or they leave. And they're not friends anymore. Oh, that actually reminds me. I was on YouTube and they actually did an experiment where for like a day. Oh, was it the little girls? The little boys? Yeah, in the house? little girls and little boys. So little girls, because they're raised different. 
government formed a government <laughs> yes they did they honestly did they kept the they cooked meals they kept the house pretty straight enough like they made a mess but they clean it up after they like gave out responsibilities mm -hmm. they were like you are gonna do this and one of the girls wanted to go home and they all like hugged her mm -hmm. it's so and then the boys were chaos right uh the boys trashed the place ate garbage they didn't cook the meals they didn't have any skills they fought constantly there was also a point where the producers had to interfere because they were going to, I think they found a hedgehog in the yard and they were going to do something awful. So they actually had to interfere and keep the boys from harming the hedgehog because they were yeah. feral. <laughs> like, I think at one point the girls drew on the walls and they still cleaned it. They still like, got they sponges and cleaned it off the walls because they're amazing. <laughs> Yeah. It's how they're raised. It's how they're raised. They're taught responsibility and to clean yeah. up after themselves and to perform chores and responsibility, which are good skills, but not just towards girls because it's yeah. taught for them to clean up after people. Mm -hmm. There was these four boys who were actually lost. I've heard that in New Zealand. Yeah. And they survived for two years. They had an ongoing fire. One boy broke his leg and they fixed it. They had a tennis court. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've seen those clips on TikTok of that show where they like had the, the a bunch they were like what like 10 or something like that yeah they were really young like uh, elementary school age yeah the girls got in arguments sure but like they they worked it out they literally talked it out and all the other girls did get involved too to make sure it got worked out yeah it was very sweet they did form a government <laughs> they did they really did but yes boys am i right <laughs> exactly <laughs> so moving on letterbox review three stars when i was 17 my mother when said I to me, was 17, my mother said to me, don't stop imagining the day that you do is the day that you die. I love that song. Yeah. That's good. And, hey, thank God I made that video of you because all I would think about was this movie if I hadn't. Mm -hmm. From the day I made that, I was like, I just think about the funeral video. <laughs> I know, it's you. so fucking funny. <laughs> It's somewhere. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. Literally, the clips from it were from a day that we stayed up all night, got donuts, came back to my house and went back to sleep. Literally, we stayed up the whole night. Like we walked in the park at like 6 a.m. as the sun mm -hmm. rose. Yeah. And then, yeah, we slept all day at your house. <laughs> See, that's, I feel like that's the day our friendship solidified. Yeah, I think so too. We got footage to prove it. <laughs> yeah. This next one is three and a half stars from Letterboxd. Features the most accurate depiction of a game of Monopoly. I've never heard a game of no Monopoly ending well with anyone. Yeah. I've never played. I've never had the... No one I ever knew was like, I'm not sitting down to play Monopoly. That game's way too long. I played one time with Noah and I started losing and I was like, I'm done playing I'm sorry. Like, that's how I am with Monopoly. If I'm, like, not in good standings money-wise in that game, I'm out. It's just capitalism, the game, so it's kind of disheartening at a certain Aww. point. Because it's literally, like, buy property, make money. If somebody buys all the property on the board, you have to pay them money every time you pass by it. I'm poor in real life. I don't need to be poor in a, in yeah. a board game. <laughs> yeah. It's not a fun game. You would hate it. I could see you giving up so fast. Oh, I you do you know how long it would take to explain the rules to me, too? <laughs> God, it would I've probably take longer right. than I would end up sitting on the ground playing it. Yeah. Three and a half stars. <laughs> Nick Robinson's facial hair looks like it was drawn on with an eyebrow pencil. <laughs> I don't believe those are weird. Uh, those are real beards or mustaches. It looks bad from the side when he like turns this way. Oh, you no. really see it. Like you see all the like fucking, no, it's wrong. 
uh, two and a half stars from Letterboxd. All I could think about was Hannah Montana and how I'd rather be watching Hannah Montana. Truly, honestly. <laughs> Still get Biagio, so win-win. Yeah. This next one's three stars. Joe should have apologized to Kelly. What a prick. Patrick should have told Joe. What a prick. Kelly shouldn't have told Joe's dad. What a prick. JK, you're cool. Biagio did nothing wrong. He's an angel and I love him. Joe's dad did everything wrong, but he's Nick Offerman, so I still love him. <laughs> Call and buy cheaper food for fuck's sake. The 2013 Fartsy Hipster soundtrack gave me both nostalgia, goosebumps, and diarrhea. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Yeah. You can't tell me that hearing the song 17 by Youth Lagoon doesn't move you every time you hear it. Exactly. You're sitting there listening to the whole damn thing. And you're crying a little. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I think you were 17 when I made that video. Yeah. Well, there you go. You're welcome. Oh, that video is going to live on forever. <laughs> it is. This next one is a one star. In quotes were men. A mantra repeated many times. At one point when this was said, I rolled my eyes pretty hard. I said out loud accidentally, oh my fucking God. And I think that nicely sums up all my feelings towards the Kings of Summer. Except that Nick Offerman was a gem, as can be expected of him at this point. I, I, I get what there, there was the point where he's like telling Biagio and he's like what about Kelly you know like what about I thought you had a thing for Kelly I thought Kelly had a thing for you and he's like oh she's just doing that thing girls do you know where they act like they don't care die die <laughs> honestly die kind of wish you got bit by the snake you know it's one thing that 14 year old thinks that it's like when grown men in their 20s think that mm -hmm. that's it's just bad it's just bad it, he's just parroting like entitlement towards women like that's just all his character is and it's just so gross of course she's gonna pick the really nice guy who listens to her when she talks yeah exactly and it's also just like take the fucking hint because something's wrong with her there's nothing wrong with them <laughs> yeah she's crazy she's just something. a bitch yeah, yeah exactly she's a prude because she doesn't like your ugly ass <laughs> This next one's a one star from Letterbox. One star for Biagio, the one redeemable quality of this movie. Hilarious from start to finish. Truly. It, truly. I mean, if you, that's one of the things I could still lean on in this movie mm -hmm. is just Biagio alone. I can lean in on that. It's so random and out of pocket. To be fair, when we would talk about this movie when we were still watching it, we only ever talked about Biagio. Because he we was the best part of this movie. Else. Yeah. Four stars. There's something so beautiful and so captivating about the simplicity of this film. Something the best coming of age tales all often share. No. Ladybird did it better. <laughs> Way better. Yeah. Five stars. Chicken buying boyfriend and hunter gatherer boyfriend. <laughs> there are so many of these, but I was like, this is kind of funny. <laughs> Two best friends and one of them's gay. <laughs> we have four stars. So much could have been avoided if teen boys were taught to express their emotions. Yeah, and also to be nice. <laughs> That's what I mean by like this movie had so much potential to like teach a lesson like that. Yes. This is the last review to 10 out of 10 from INDB titled Excellent Movies, written in 2013. The Kings of Summer is a unique coming of age comedy about three teenage friends. Excellent film that will sure put a smile on your face. If you love Stand By Me, this is for you. The Kings of Summer is refreshing, funny, and absolutely wonderful. An amazing supporting cast. I highly recommend and guarantee that you will absolutely love this film. The Kings of Summer is a perfect film with teenagers or adults that are still teenagers in heart. This film brings back memories of childhood, being carefree, and the pitfalls of adolescence. You will love this film. Listen, I did say at the beginning that this movie makes me feel like like I'm 14 and it's summertime. Mm -hmm. Does that mean it's a good movie? No. No. I get if you like it for the little things in this movie. And like, yeah, I get that. I won't hate on that. Like the soundtrack. Yeah, the soundtrack. Exact Biagio. <laughs> the best parts. Yeah. I don't know. I would love for this person to revisit. <laughs> That's the thing. A lot of these reviews are from 2013. I wonder if they've watched it since then. 
Yeah. If you ever want to know how not to make a coming-of-age movie, watch this one. It's a good example. Maybe teen boys relate to it more. I don't know. But the only thing this movie taught me is, like, don't be a dick to your friends. Yeah. You know, it doesn't resonate as much as a lot of coming-of-age movies do that are... Most of them are pretty timeless because of that. Because... You can relate to what the characters are going through and how they're acting. Maybe it's just because I'm not an incel, but I just didn't get it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I get that. So after hearing all that, what would you rate this movie? Let's see. Definitely gets a star for Biagio. Definitely star for Biagio. Star for the soundtrack. Mm Mm-hmm. A star for Nick Offerman. Mm Mm-hmm. So like a three out of 10. I was going to land on a three or four. We don't usually go under like a five. Yeah. This is this is a three. So three out of ten for both of us. I don't have much else to say about this movie. I think we've said everything. Yeah. So if you have any other recommendations for us, as we've said previously, we're coming up on fall pretty soon. So if you want to recommend some fall movies for us or some scary movies for when we get closer to Halloween, we would absolutely love that. And if you have anything outside of that to recommend to us, we'd love to hear it. And you can reach us on our Instagram at Easy Bake Takes. We also have a TikTok at Easy Big Takes. We have our website where we post our review overviews and our transcripts of each episode, which is easybaketakespodcast.com. Don't forget to leave a review and follow wherever you listen and share with a friend because it really helps us out a lot. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Kat. And I'm Riley. This has been Easy Big Takes. Easy watching out there. Bye. Bye. Bye.